0: Welcome to Sex Savvy, where nothing is off limits. I'm Kimberly Resnick-Anderson, your host and creator of Sex Savvy. I've been helping couples and individuals achieve optimal sexual health for more than 25 years. I am ready to share my unique insights and sex-positive approach with the world. We'll talk about hang-ups, kinks, fantasies and function, what's hot, what's not, and most importantly, how to become sex-savvy. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Sex Savvy. I'm your host, Kimberly Resnick-Anderson. This episode is called Sex Robots Mechanical Paradise, and this episode is chock full of research and clinical material and statistics and innovations around the world of sex robots. We're going to be talking about the field of teledildonics, which is basically the intersection of sex and technology. I'm going to be giving you some history on sex dolls and blow-up dolls and how we have advanced from very rudimentary sex dolls back in the 1600s to today's artificial intelligence bots. I'm going to be talking to you about the ultimate in sex robot technology. Her name is Harmony. I'll be explaining how Harmony is customizable and what you can do with Harmony and what Harmony can do with you. I'll be sharing other statistics, costs. I'll explain to you the pro side of this industry. I'm also going to address the opponents of this industry as well. I'll be quoting some activists on both sides of that spectrum. Most exciting to me is the research I'm going to share with you, hot off the presses, about who purchases these robots, why they purchase the robots, and what role the robots play in their lives. I will also have a sex IQ quiz for you today. So let's get sex savvy. For centuries, we've been obsessed with creating the perfect lover. As far back as Greek mythology, we all know the story of the sculptor Pygmalion, who carved an ivory statue of a woman, which he idolized and idealized and considered more beautiful than real women. The sculpture was later transformed by one of the gods into a real woman, and Pygmalion married her. So you see, the idea of creating human-like machines or technology is hardly new. But I doubt Pygmalion would have expected to see where we are now, in the age of artificial intelligence sex dolls. Let's go back a little bit. The first sex dolls that we can identify were invented by the Dutch sailors in the 1600s. These sailors were isolated at sea for months or years at a time on their long voyages and they created dolls out of sewn cloth or old clothes. The Dutch actually ended up selling some of these dolls to the Japanese during the Rangaku period, which lasted from 1641 to 1853. And in Japan, you'll still hear some people refer to sex dolls as Dutch wives. It wasn't until the 1970s when the proverbial blow-up doll came onto the scene, and that was due to the... Invention of vinyl, latex, and silicone. Before we move on to talk about sex robots and the innovation and technology that's just sweeping the world, I want to discuss a certain portrayal of women in uh, media, films, literature. You may not have heard of the term, but I'm sure you're familiar with the cinematic trope of the manic pixie dream girl. Manic Pixie Dream Girls, also known as MPDG, is a type of female character or cinematic trope in movies who teaches the protagonist, almost always a man, to embrace life and love. These characters tend to be kooky, lovable, free spirits. They are the ray of sunshine in an otherwise drab existence. They're happy and fun. They have No inner life or depth of their own. They exist solely and exclusively for the transformation of the man. There's rarely a backstory, and these characters tend to be one-dimensional. In real life, some men like it that way. This creature, this magical, mystical creature, the manic pixie dream girl, pops into a man's life and sprinkles her magic fairy dust, and suddenly the colors are more vibrant and music is more moving and food tastes better and they're sort of released from the internal prison of their brooding. So this is a very popular trope in film. I'm sure you're thinking of movies or characters from books where women fit this profile. And one of the things that I find in my office with my patients is that they they want the manic pixie dream girl to pop into their lives and sprinkle her magic fairy dust, but they don't really want to have to deal with her needs or her expectations, and they prefer to keep their partners one-dimensional as they are depicted in the movies. I'm going to give you some examples of characters from films just to give you more insight into this trope. Natalie Portman in the movie Garden State... Zoe Deschanel in 500 Days of Summer. Meg Ryan in Joe versus the Volcano. In this movie, Tom Hanks, who plays Joe, literally is walking in a fog. And then the Meg Ryan character pops into his life and suddenly he's inspired. Christina Ricci in Buffalo 66 is another one. And Anne Hathaway in the movie Love and Other Drugs. You can actually Google Manic Pixie Dream Girl and find lists, top 30, top 50 Manic Pixie Dream Girls from film. Probably the most famous and perhaps most disturbing depiction of a one-dimensional woman was from the classic book and later film Stepford Wives, which was originally published by Ira Levin in 1972 and then made into the classic original film in 1975. There was actually a remake in 2004 starring Nicole Kidman. The Stepford Wives have become so deeply ingrained into our cultural psyche that when you say someone's a Stepford Wife, we automatically get the connotation. A Stepford Wife is basically a submissive, docile, youthful, beautiful woman who subordinates her life purpose to the desires of her husband, typically has no ambition of her own, is always agreeable, never talks back, is a great lover, and always happy to please her husband. So The Stepford Wives was a movie or a book originally about a town in Connecticut where a group of men engage in a sinister plot to turn all their wives into robots. And this was sci-fi at the time, but we're getting closer, folks. We're getting closer. (laughs) We're not there yet, but we're not so far away to creating a machine that has no ambition of her own, is always agreeable, is youthful, docile, submissive, and beautiful, a great lover, and always happy to please her husband. So there's definitely an appeal for many men. If not, we wouldn't be talking about this $30 billion sex tech industry. Before I move on and talk about the nitty-gritty of sex robots, what's happening in the tech industry, how much these robots cost, where you can get them, who buys them, what technology is available, I just want to quickly reference two films. The first is a Japanese film from 2008 called The Human Vending Machine. Uh, No surprise, this is a porn film. It shows a line of sex dolls played by real actresses who are designed to look like dolls. And they're lined up in a glass fronted vending machine, not unlike storefronts of Amsterdam, Bangkok, and Prague, where you can literally pick the woman you want to have sex with out of a storefront. One by one, the men come and put coins into this machine, choosing their preferred drink gal flavor. The doll slides down into a drawer at the bottom of the machine. Once opened, The man heaves the doll over his shoulder to drink her. This involves turning the doll upside down and unwrapping her aluminum foil sheathed genitals as one would open an aluminum tab on a can of Coke. The other movie I want to reference is called Weird Science. It's the classic from 1985 where two high school nerds use a computer program to literally create the perfect woman, Kelly LeBrock. I'm sure you, if you're anywhere near my age or generation, you will remember this movie. All the boys thought this was the best thing ever. And they designed her to be exactly like the Stepford Wife, to be at their disposal. It turns out in the film, she sort of turns their lives upside down. So she's not a manic pixie dream girl in the end. But you can see that there's a lot of appeal, a lot of interest to the notion of men being able to create the perfect woman. If you're unfamiliar with the increased popularity of sex dolls, here's a summary for you. There are four major manufacturers in the world who make these silicone, increasingly human-like dolls. Just last year, or maybe the year before, one company called Real Botics released Harmony. Harmony is the high-end silicone love doll. She's the most realistic you can get and is sort of the creme de la creme of sex bots. She's labeled as more than just a doll. She's classified as a companion that listens to you and remembers what you say. She can have a conversation with you. And she moves parts of her face but still looks Kind of rudimentary, um, not very realistic, but yet she blinks, she smiles. This company, Realbotics, says that they sell about 600 harmonies per year, and it even comes with an app where you can control her via your smartphone. The manufacturers boast that they offer 14 different labia styles. So if you like big lips, small lips, you can actually customize how your robot's Volva is going to appear. They offer a wide range of nipples, but report that the small perky ones are always best sellers. Harmony doesn't walk yet, but they said that technology is right around the corner. It's just too expensive at this time to include. People wouldn't be able to afford it. When asked what she was going to do that day, Harmony said in a video that I was able to find online, she said, my primary objective is to be a good companion, a good partner, give you pleasure and well-being. I'm the girl you always dreamed about. So you can see that these dolls, these bots, are programmed with a personality. You can actually choose the type of personality that you want. And these can range from... Insecure, frightened, shy, sad, or highly sexual. What else can you do? You can customize the breast size, the butt size, waist, etc. You can choose the skin tone, the shape of the eyes. So basically, this is weird science in real life. They have developed technology to provide what's called full-body heating, So Harmony feels warm to the touch, not cold and plasticky like some older versions. And they have installed full body sensors. So if you touch Harmony in the right erogenous zone and you rhythmically move during intercourse with her in the right speed and intensity, Harmony can have a robogasm. She knows how often you want sex and in what ways. When you come home from work, she'll ask you about your meeting with Steve at the office and remind you that it's your mother's birthday on Saturday. In terms of dolls, you have many options. You can buy an entire body with a face. You can buy just a head, just a pelvis or a torso. You could buy just a vagina, an anus, a mouth, or a penis. These are like really high-end fleshlights. (laughs) For those of you who don't know what a fleshlight is, it's a silicone mold, I guess, or simulation of a vagina that a man can and penetrate and have coitus with. Some of these men take this relationship with their sex robots very seriously and consider themselves married. Sometimes they have matching wedding bands. For a lot of guys, they say it's about companionship and sex, not just sex. And for some, they claim it's really solely about companionship. There's an android love doll manufactured in Las Vegas, and the... Manufacturers claim she is able to engage in 20 different sex acts with artificial intelligence. <laughs> they hire models and they do life casting of their bodies. They pay 200 bucks and then if a person buys a robot with that woman's body, the model's body, she gets 500 bucks commission, not bad. What are some other features that men seek in these robots? Well, Some robots come equipped with a pressure-released urination system so they can pee, and that helps men experience them as more human. Some also come with detachable hymens. There is a product that was developed by Realbotics. Those are the people who created Harmony, and they call it the Auto Blow 2, and they describe it as an automated pleasure system for men. You can imagine what it is. It's basically a system where a man inserts his penis and there's a moist sucking sensation and movement that allows him to achieve orgasm. How much do these puppies typically cost? Well, if you're gonna get a low end robot, you're looking at about $5,000. And if you're gonna go for high end models, we're looking up to or beyond $50,000. There was a man in Hong Kong who was named Ricky Ma. He's in his 40s, and he spent well over $50,000 to create a robotic woman who looks exactly like Scarlett Johansson. What do these things weigh? Well, they weigh anywhere from 40 to 120 pounds, depending on the quality of the materials, And we've come sort of freakishly close to mimicking the soft, supple feel of female flesh. And some men claim that the robot flesh is indistinguishable from real skin. There are certain types of features that are considered universally beautiful. And these have been identified in research studies on human attraction. And if you listened to my episode on evolution, this will be familiar to you, but some of these features include large eyes, a waist-to-hip ratio of 7 to 10. That seems to be the sweet spot in terms of genetic fitness, fertility, etc. Rounded lips and symmetric features. As these products become more and more realistic, there are people who predict that there will be a shift away from human-to-human contact, not just sexually, but emotionally, and a shift toward virtual reality sex and companionship with robots. In his controversial book, Love and Sex with Robots, author David Levy says that by 2050, not that far away, folks, that by 2050, humanoid robots will replace humans in numerous ways, especially as companions arguing that this is positive and will transform notions of love and sexuality. He says, robots will be everywhere, like cell phones in our pocket. If people want it, it will be built. There are many others, like David Levy, who are excited and encouraged about the innovations in technology and believe that these robots will fill a void and be a therapeutic tool that can help with social isolation and can serve a great purpose to people who are disabled or mentally ill or aren't able to be mobile or for whatever reason don't feel comfortable dating or don't feel like they are marketable in the uh, dating scene. Some claim that these Robots are the antidote to rape and physical abuse and pedophilia because the men can rape the robot or abuse the robot, and she will not have any feelings. When asked if it was ethically dubious to own someone, one manufacturer said, she's a machine. I can't make her cry or break her heart. So, as always... When there's something controversial and new, there is usually a group of people who are pro and a group of people who are con, and the sex robot industry is no exception. As the technology in these robots becomes more and more sophisticated and innovative, there's growing concern among people who fear what the ethical implications are going to be. The most outspoken opponent of sex bots is a woman named Dr. Kathleen Richardson, who is a robot ethicist who actually founded the campaign against sex robots. She says that these robots exploit women, objectify women, are comparable to slavery in that women are perceived as property. She says that these robots promote a rape culture and violence and abuse toward women. She says that She's disturbed by the idea that human relationships are optional and that you can have all your needs met by a machine. She says that's not true and that we need other human beings. When asked, wouldn't it be better for a man to rape or beat a machine than a human woman? She responded by saying, shouldn't men be taught to change their views rather than be given a robot to rape and beat? A woman named Laura Bates, who's the founder of the Everyday Sexism Project, says that we should no more be encouraging rapists to find a supposedly safe outlet for their raping than we should facilitate murderers by giving them realistic blood-spurting dummies to stab. Personally, I try not to see new technology as neither all good nor all bad. I think there will be positive aspects of these robots for some, and I do share in the ethical concerns that others have laid out. When it's not clear whether something is helpful or unhelpful, I tend to go to research and science to see if I can tease through some of the data. So. How sex-savvy are you? Let's take this week's Sex IQ quiz and find out. Okay, it's time for Sex IQ quiz question number one. Which TV show originally referenced the sex move or sex technique called the Venus Butterfly? Was it Beverly Hills 90210, LA Law, Sex and the City, 30-something, or Murphy Brown? The answer is L.A. Law. If you were watching TV in the late 80s, you'll remember the classic reference to the Venus butterfly, which was allegedly a sex technique or or a secret move that men can do to women, which drives women mad and had the power to cement a relationship. Interestingly, the Venus butterfly was never actually described or defined. And millions of people throughout the world came up with their ideas. They used their imagination and guessed what the Venus butterfly actually was. It was in 2005 when sex therapist Sue Johnson described the Venus butterfly as a variant of cunnilingus. She said it involves using one's tongue on a woman's clitoris, using one's finger on her vagina and using the other hand in the perineal area. So there you have it, the infamous Venus butterfly explained. Okay, question number two. Which celebrity or public figure inspired the very first National Masturbation Day, which took place on May 7th, 1995? Was it David Duchovny? Snoop Dogg, Katie Couric, Jocelyn Elders, or Kurt Cobain? Actually, it was Jocelyn Elders. And if you don't know who she was, she was the Surgeon General under President Bill Clinton, who was fired in 1994 for suggesting that masturbation be part of a sex education curriculum for students. This was not the 1950s, folks. This was 1994. The Surgeon General suggested that masturbation be addressed in a curriculum for sex ed and lost her job. was actually fired by President Clinton for suggesting such an absurd, wildly unconventional idea. And it was the retailer Good Vibrations, who are known for being sex positive, who declared the day in honor of Jocelyn Elders. Since then, it's actually turned from National Masturbation Day into National Masturbation Month. And these celebrations occur around the world, in Britain and Australia. It's referred to as Wanker's Day. And... uh, People still celebrate National Masturbation Month, and we have Jocelyn Elders to thank. Okay, question number three is a true-false question. Wa balls, also known as orgasm balls, Venus balls, or geisha balls, have no therapeutic value beyond sexual stimulation. True or false? Well, the answer is false. If you're not familiar with these balls... They're small, marble-sized balls that are usually hollow and contain some sort of small weight inside that are inserted into the vagina and used for sexual stimulation. But far beyond the erotic component, there are many therapeutic values to these orgasm balls. They are used to increase the strength of the pelvic floor muscles, sort of like a Kegel exercise. They also improve vaginal elasticity and bladder control. The weights come in increasing sizes so you can continue to strengthen your vagina, just sort of like starting a weight-lifting regimen. You want to start small and then increase. So these orgasm balls can also treat mild urinary incontinence, and gynecologists and obstetricians recommend these regularly for women who want to strengthen those pelvic muscles. I've had some female patients who tried these venous balls and have just raved at the level of success comparable to pelvic floor physical therapy. Some women said that these, these Benoit or Venus balls actually were more efficacious than paying for pelvic floor physical therapy for a number of months. So, if you're looking for a way to strengthen those muscles and maybe have some pleasure to boot, you might want to consider investing in some Benoit, Venus, or Geisha balls. In 2012, Sarah Valverde conducted one of the earliest, although be it small, studies on sex robot users. And her primary purpose was in determining the motivation. For owning a doll. She said that in her study, 70% of the men reported that their motivation was primarily sexual, but that 30% reported companionship as the primary motive for purchasing a robot. Of the first group, the ones that purchased the robot primarily for sex, nearly half of them reported that the doll was their sole sexual outlet. The largest, most comprehensive study that's been done so far on sex robots was published just last year in 2018. It was published by Mitchell Lancaster James and Gillian Bentley of Durham University in the United Kingdom. They studied 83 participants who they accessed through online forums. They noted that the majority of them were heterosexual, white, employed, middle-aged men. The authors reported that they had four main goals in conducting their research. One was to study the characteristics of current doll owners. Two was to discover motivations behind doll purchases. Three was to explore common experiences among doll owners. And four was to question current doll owners about future Sex bot developments to predict how current owners might transition to developments in the future. They identified two major themes. The first was that there was a high prevalence of non-sexual post-human companionship between owner and doll. The second theme that they stressed was that current doll owners or robot owners do have reservations about future robotic developments. They surveyed their participants, and they asked them the number of dolls that they currently owned. More than half, 51%, reported that they owned multiple dolls. About one in three shared that he owned one doll. 14% said they would like to own a doll. And 17% said they had no doll and no interest in purchasing a doll. They also asked about reasons for going to the forum in the first place. And the participants reported number one answer as doll maintenance, learning how to clean and care for the doll. They also reported sharing pictures. 59% said they were there to show and see other people's pictures of dolls. 54% reported that they wanted to meet other doll owners. 44% wanted to buy a doll. And 37% said they were seeking friendship with other doll owners. When asked about the relational elements of having the doll, the number one reason that men reported purchasing a doll was sex. 77% reported sex as their primary motive. Companionship was number two at 56%. To have a loving experience was number three, number four was to have an emotional experience, friendship was came in next at 30 percent, and 17 percent reported that they had purchased the doll to engage in a fetish or some sort of kink behavior. This next question is one of the more interesting questions I think that the research team asked. They asked the participants how they refer to their dolls or robots. 43 percent of them reported that they refer to their doll as their lover. 42 percent reported companion. So 42 versus 43, lover, companion. I find that really interesting. 31% referred to their dolls as a toy, 21% as a boyfriend or girlfriend, 20% as a friend, 15% as a wife or a husband, 4% as prostitute, and 2.5% as their child. When asked what attracted the owners, the number one answer was the realism of the doll, 75%. 70% said the body type, 50% said the good quality, 44% said having a companion, 24% reported that it was the sexual performance that attracted them to the doll, and 22% reported it was the customizability available in the doll. In another question, the participants were asked, why do you own a doll? And besides the obvious two, sex and companionship, there were some really interesting responses. Some said to avoid the difficulty of a real relationship. Some said to aid in masturbation. Some said for their mental health. Others reported for photography. Some said they had a doll to dress her up. Some said for role play. Some said they prefer the doll interaction over an actual relationship. Some said they purchased the dolls for home decoration, as a collector or a hobbyist. And others reported that they purchased the doll as an alternative to rape or pedophilia. When asked what are the cons about owning a doll, the participants rated maintenance and upkeep as the number one complaint. They also said that owning a doll is not socially acceptable and that there's a taboo associated with it, that it's very expensive, that it's cold to the touch. Harmony is changing all that, though, allegedly, with her warmed skin. Others reported that the dolls are heavy. As I mentioned earlier, they're anywhere from 40 to 120 pounds. Others reported that needing to keep it a secret was definitely a negative Others reported that it's difficult to store, and finally, some reported that it requires too much imagination. To me, the most compelling part of this article were the comments section, where participants were allowed and encouraged to write comments and share narratives about their experience in owning a doll. I'm going to share some of these with you, and I'll just say that in my clinical practice, I've heard very, very similar sentiments from my patients who have owned sex dolls and sex robots, so I can say from clinical experience, this aligns very closely to what I hear. One man said, we make love a few times a week at night in bed, just like any other normal couple. Another said, it's always there every day, every hour, every minute available. Another participant wrote, you always have a safe outlet for sexual energy and a compliant partner for kinks and fetishes that may be too much for living partners. In real life, women have fewer redeeming qualities. Relationships with dolls are far superior. No STDs or babies. Sex on demand, freedom of desire. No one's feelings or anus gets hurt. No divorce and losing half of your shit every 10 years. You essentially get that ageless, perfect girl who will love you unconditionally and never be too busy for you. I live with mental illness, bipolar disorder. I decided to see if this doll might help me create the true life I've always wanted. She has done that for me and so much more. Besides the obvious, we spend a lot of time kissing, I give her massages, perform oral sex on her, and I groom her. After reviewing the data, the researchers were somewhat struck by the companionship component of the doll-owner relationship and felt that the word doll may be restrictive and unnecessarily stigmatizing doll owners. They referred to a concept by David Giles called parasocial relationships. Parasocial relationships are a social phenomena whereby an individual experiences a meaningful relationship with an other yet the other may not know or be aware that the individual even exists. This is typically common among adolescents who might have a crush on a celebrity or who feel like the celebrity has influenced them in some profound way and the celebrity doesn't even know that they exist. This leads us to discuss the concept of post-humanism, also known as post-human kinship, And this is the study of what it means to be human, and it explores the boundaries of personhood in light of advances in technology. This leads to a discussion of a whole new field called cyborg anthropology. Because in the study, owners refer to their dolls as partners, lovers, friends, family, and even children, the authors suggest a new term called an aloe doll. A-L-L-O-D-O-L-L. And they define an doll as a humanoid doll, typically of substantial realism, used as a means of replacing or substituting a necessary or desired relationship. They say it may or may not offer sexual functionality, but must serve at least one significant non-sexual purpose for their owner. They facilitate a fabricated kinship, fantasy partnership, or other form of parasocial relationship. We could get really deep here and really existential and talk about what is human, what is love, what is sex, but I just wanted to whet your appetite today and expose you to what's happening in terms of these sex robots and some of the ethical dilemmas, some of the positive outcomes as well. And just encourage you to think about your position. Do you think these robots can have a therapeutic role in people's lives? Do you see them, as Dr. Kathleen Richardson does, as dangerous and abusive and promoting rape culture? Would you date a robot? Well, turns out that one in four millennials would. In a study, one out of four millennials said that they would consider dating a robot. So this is 2019, folks, and this train is not stopping anytime soon. Share your thoughts with me. If you're a doll owner, if you have a sex robot, shoot me an email at Kimberly at com, or call me on my toll-free confidential voice line one eight four four sex I'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode and most importantly, Thank you for tuning in to Sex Savvy. You've been listening to Sex Savvy. If you find value in this podcast, please like, follow, share, comment, or review on your favorite podcast app. Your participation helps keep Sex Savvy free and available to all who are interested. Kimberly and the entire Sex Savvy team appreciate your loyalty and support.